Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here at IndyStar.com. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. Afternoons, Fox Sports 1260, Quarian Schultz. But the big star of the show is Greg Doyle, the Indy Star sports columnist. And we're actually going to change things up. And instead of talking about the Colts' 38th loss in 39 games or however long it's been, Greg, um, I thought we'd actually talk about something that happened last night. And I was – were you down at the game last night? I was not because I okay. traveled home from the Colts That's game. That's right. I wish I'd been there for PG's outburst afterwards. So do I, because I went, and then I asked uh, one of the Pacers guys afterwards, I was like, hey, when's Paul going to talk? And he said, well, Paul usually waits until about an hour after the game. And I've my wife's at work. I've got the babysitter. So I was like, eh, I can't stand around for an hour. And then I saw what he had to say, and then I was kind of like, I wish I would have just stuck around for the hour. Wait, are you saying that Paul's a little bit self-centered, and while there, there, are, <laughs> there are lower minions trying just to do Shocking. their job? But he's going to yeah. take a shower and do everything. I mean, and ice and is it? Sh- yeah, most stars, by the way, don't do that. Just so anybody listening understands, these people are real people. They're human beings, and they get that we're people too. And even if they're not always our best friends and vice versa, they under they don't do that to us. But if Paul George regularly does that to us, consider me shocked. Yeah, I guess he's on the Tom Crean plan when it comes to that. We just make everybody wait for about an hour after the game, and then come out and say what you, whatever you're going to say. But uh, let's get to the comments because he said something about a tell-all book and I'm not the one that to be they booed. should be booed. And I think we all know that he's talking about Larry Bird, right? There is probably, I mean, Bird and or KP, but there is no way, there is not, I've got a pretty good imagination and I'm pretty cynical when it comes to stuff like this. And There is not a scenario where he's not the bad guy. There is not one. Mm-hmm. Because Larry Bird and, and Pritchard we're going to give him whatever the max dollar amount is. You were getting that, Paul. You were getting that. So whatever whatever he thinks he's got, and he doesn't think he's got anything, that's the most empty threat of all time. The thing about delusional people is, and narcissists, and I'm not calling him a habitual liar. It's more just that he doesn't, he's just so clueless, he actually thinks he, he believes what he's saying. You're not lying if you truly believe what oh, you're saying. Oh, I believe that he believes what he's yeah, saying. Yeah, so he's not a liar, he's just wrong. He truly believes he's not the bad guy here. He truly believes there's something there, and there's nothing there. No, I, I agree with you. I just think it was a case of he wanted to move on. He told the Pacers and whatever. I, he did not handle it well, and he'll never be well-liked here because of how he handled that exit. But this whole thing about uh, you know Larry Bird did this or Larry Bird did that, look— I'm with Paul George in the sense that Larry Bird let him down with the roster construction. The, those last two years, that roster stunk. Monte Ellis and and you know guys like that. I mean, that was not. It was just not a good roster. And I don't blame Paul George for being upset about that. That doesn't mean that he has to light the whole crop field on fire on his way out, which is basically what he did. And it's amazing that it's a testament to Kevin Pritchard that he was able to extinguish those flames. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah, but the thing about Paul is that he he thinks he thinks the if what you're saying is right that that Montel it's not the Pacers' fault that they couldn't build better team around him. Um, what well, I mean, I guess it's their fault, but this is not an easy place. We know this is not an easy place yeah. to attract. And there's nothing about PG that makes me think people want to play with him. 
There's nothing about him. He's become better at OKC and, and, and now in, in L.A. He's become better at this, but he's not a guy that makes people around him better. He's never done that. He's been all about PG. So I can't, I can't hear that if he thinks the bad guy is Larry Bird for making a bad team around him, shameful. The thing about PG that drives me nuts, it's not that he left. He had the right to leave. It's fine. It's not that he wanted to leave. He's got the right to want to leave. What drove me nuts about PG was that he kind of strung the Pacers along yeah, until it was right. too late. Like, I think I'm going to stay or I'm going to stay. You're going to build around me. This is great. And then finally, he just kind of reached his breaking point and snapped. The problem was the timing sucked. And But again, the Pacers got lucky and because Pritchard's really good. and you know. Yeah, if you want to go, just go. You know what I mean? Just, right. just say that you want to go. And I think he was straddling the fence, or at least publicly he was straddling the fence. And when I think we all knew that he wanted to go back to California, and that's ultimately where he ended up. And the Pacers got something for him. And I think Pacers fans are happy with that deal, so you just kind of move on. It's it's Paul George that is kind of keeping this alive. I think a lot of Pacers fans have, have moved on. I did a Twitter poll last night, Greg, where I was like, what's your reaction to Paul George? You still hate him, you like him, and don't wish him any ill will, or meh. And two-thirds of the respondents said, eh. I mean, people at this point, they've got Oladipo and Sabonis, and... He Paul did. George is in a whole different conference, and they moved on. But it, well, I mean, he did get booed last night. I mean, he did. Uh, that he, did happen. And I don't know how big it yeah. was. I mean, I heard the boos, and it sounded like what, almost what your poll says. It sounds like maybe a third of the building was booing him, mm-hmm. which is loud enough to make you think the whole town hates me. But that's what it was. Um, but the thing about Paul is, and it's just really weird with with Paul. It's almost endearing, except for the way that he stumbles across and does it and does it poorly. He wants to be liked. He wants to be liked so badly. And he's just so terrible at it. The mm. best thing he has going for him is his talent. Talent is charismatic. I mean, we yeah. were drawn in high school. We're drawn to the quarterback of the football team, no matter how big of a snob jerk he is. You know, the best-looking cheerleader, the funniest person, the this, the that, the, the most talented girls basketball player. We're drawn to those people, no matter what kind of a cretin they might be, because they're just good. That is Paul George's number one selling point his whole life has been his talent, and he wants to be liked. He just doesn't have any idea how to do it. He just wants to tell people what they want to hear instead yes. of what the truth is. Which he told the Pacers what they wanted to hear yeah. until he finally told them the truth, and he told them the truth at a point where they couldn't get what they should have gotten for him. But they, you know, again, I think we, we've all realized the Pacers are probably better off right now without Paul, and Paul's better off without us. So, I mean, everybody has ultimately won. It doesn't mean we have to like the way he did it and also like the way now he's, he's lashing out. So that tell-all and all of that, my response to that is just whatever. I, I feel like I already know, oh, they tried to switch me to power forward and wah, and they didn't build a winner around me and wah, you know what I mean? Like I, I pass on the Paul George tell-all. I don't care about that. <laughs> uh, let's get to the Colts. Yeah. Another loss, fifth time in six games, and you pointed out in your column, Greg, it's the same old song and dance. This team has the lead. A lot of times they've, they're in control in the fourth quarter. And it just all dissolves away very quickly. And again, that's exactly what happened in Tampa. I believe the narrative on Jacoby has changed this weekend. Um, and I believe it's Nat Newell's fault. Nat Newell is assistant sports editor here at the Star. And, and I I mean, I've been noticing, I watch these games, that Jacoby in the fourth quarter is not, not very good. The thing about Jacoby is he's so good early that we that during the game you kind of get momentum going. Wow, he's good. Look at his numbers. His passer rating is great. And then the fourth quarter comes around, and he, and he kind of falls back to, the, to planet Earth, and his overall numbers are kind of suitable. His overall numbers are kind of above average. But for three quarters, he was so good, that's kind of the first impression we get every damn week. Yeah. And I think we've all inflated how good he is because he's so good early. But he's been so bad in the fourth quarter every week. So anyway, I noticed that but didn't know the numbers. I asked Nat Newell, my boss, hey, would you – you know, do your magic. He's great at ProFootballReference.com and all that. And look up, look up this guy in the fourth quarter. And he looked him up, and 
And I actually, honestly, I'm not sure I asked Nat to look him up. I think Nat just did that on his own because Nat is that good of a boss. So on his own, Nat looks it up and tells him what the numbers are. And they're shocking. Mm-hmm. And and so I wrote this, and, and Nat should get a lot of credit, but my name's on it, so I'll take it. Um, the numbers are shocking, and they're not shocking for two games. They're shocking for two years. 2017, which Reich wasn't here, but this year, they're shocking. And yesterday, Reich met with the media at a conference call, and there was like two questions about Vinny, and one or two questions about the game, and then everything else was about Jacoby in the fourth quarter. Like, everybody read the story, and they're yeah. like, whoa, I think you're going to see this going forward. And we're all going to watch the fourth quarter, right, for the next three mm-hmm. weeks. The, the narrative has changed. It's on Jacoby to – and I tried to find a nice way to say this, Jacoby. I tried to ask him nicely, why are you choking the fourth quarter? And I failed. But the narrative is now, why aren't you the same guy in the fourth quarter? It's why – it's what separates the great guys and the elite guys from just the guys. And Jacoby's just a guy, and he's always been just a guy. Uh, we were hoping maybe there was something more there, but I don't think something's going to drastically change. And I thought the most interesting thing, not only was the number that revealed it for Brissett of struggling in the fourth quarter was the guy that has been the best huh. is Luck. And I, I think that just goes to show you Luck and Brissett at times have some, you know, Luck could struggle through an entire game, right? But four-point game, game on the line, two minutes left, you felt like more often than not he was going to come through. He he could save a lot of bad performances or overcome a lot of mistakes. And Brissett, I guess it's not his fault. He just can't do that. He can't overcome that he can't win the game for you he cannot lose the game for you but I just don't think that he's the kind of guy that can win the game for you because luck manning guys like that those are the kind of guys that can go out there and win it for you and let me let me take away people out there that want to defend Jacoby in this way which is the most easiest way to defend him and I understand it I'm gonna take this away from you right now so I'm sorry but your bullet's about to be pulled out of your little argument gun the same players that he's throwing to, the same receivers, same running back, same tight ends, the same guys he's throwing to for three quarters and developing a passer rating of about 100. Same guys in the fourth quarter as passer rating drops off the face of the earth. So it's not, well, what do you expect him to do without T.Y.? Well, he plays one way when the game's, you know, the way it is, but he plays a whole other way when it's on the line. And that's just, we have a long, a, a big, what do you call it, sample size. Jack Doyle's a pro bowler. He's healthy, and he threw behind him on that third down. On the last drive, it was a critical play, and it's pitch and catch. Doyle's wide open. He's right there. He missed two touchdown throws. One was to Doyle, and I think maybe Johnson was the other one who was wide open right before halftime. Yeah. The guy's staying wide open, and, um, you know, you just can't do that. I actually thought that Brissett played better than he'd played in the last couple of games. I loved how aggressive he was with the deep throws. He's got a nice deep ball, Greg. That's the oh, he's got an arm about it. Oh, yeah. You might as well just uncork those more than once every solar eclipse, and we're not really seeing that from him, but the – Short, intermediate stuff was all scattershot. It was just all over the place. And you can't miss on those throws. Yeah, and he uh, – I noticed this, and I didn't write this. I would kind of should have, but he he's, he throws it too hard when he shouldn't. And, like, the ball behind Jack Doyle on third and two was, was catchable if it wasn't just a laser from six yards away. It was catchable, but not like that. And he did that several times. The two t- touchdowns in the, that he missed to Johnson and Doyle earlier were just too – they were too hard. They were close enough to be caught. If the guy had a chance, but they didn't have a chance. And then in the fourth quarter, he threw one ball. He put some touch on the ball, and a cornerback ran it down and knocked it down. I'm like, well, you get that's when you throw your laser. Yeah. So uh, he's just the, the the reason to hope. If you're a Colts fan, the reason to hope is that while he is, he'll be 27 tomorrow, I think, or Thursday. He's 27 this week. While that's you know pretty old. I mean, not old old, but you are what you are at 27. Mm-hmm. Only this is only his second year starting and his first year in this system, so he's more like a a second year pro which means there's still room to grow, and his fourth-quarter numbers, the discrepancy has gotten better this year from 17. So 
That's why the culture in such a hard spot. They're still projecting him. And you just don't know yet because there's something there. We see what he is for three quarters. There's something there. It's just the fourth quarter thing's got to get better fast. And I think he could grow into being a slightly better version of what he is now. But at 27 and with two seasons of starts, 35 starts or whatever it is under his belt, if there was something that was really special there, like high-end franchise-type guy, in my opinion, Greg, I think we would have seen it by now. And I don't. We've seen some flashes. He made a great play in the Denver game. He made a great play in the Jacksonville game. You know, guys make Marcus Mariota occasionally make a good play. That doesn't make him a franchise quarterback. Right. And this quarterback draft class is is so deep, and the Colts, as they continue to slide down the draft order, they're getting closer to the mid-teens, right? I mean, and who knows where they end yeah. up. I mean, if they end up 6-10, and 10, they're, you know, they're in the top 10, but they won't be 6-10, and 10, I don't think. But the, someone's going to be there. Tua for sure is going to be there. Um, is Herbert? I mean, someone. There's Burrow. There's Herbert. There's there's more. I, I don't. It's so deep. I'm not sure yeah. all the names anymore. But Jordan Love. Well, the guy from Utah State. He'll probably yeah. be the second round. I yeah. assume. But there'll be guys there. And and Chris Ballard will has always said he will take a guy if he's ahead of his projection. Doesn't matter what position he plays. Doesn't matter because that's an asset. He'll take him. So the draft's going to be real interesting. Tua would actually be perfect considering the Colts situation where you've got Brissett for another year. True. And Tua needs a redshirt year, essentially, to get right physically. Yeah. So it, it kind of aligns timing. I mean, I'm projecting way out here, but it kind of aligns timing-wise if he did fall in your lap in the mid to late teens. And look at what New England does, and I can't stand them. They cheat, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But look what New England does. They always draft a quarterback, mm. and... If he's the guy they think will replace Tom Brady one day, they'll keep him until Tom Brady plays until his 40s and they finally trade Garoppolo because Brady's just not going to quit. But they draft these guys, develop them, and they become assets. Yeah. So I don't think it would hurt the Colts to draft, for example, Tua at 17, if he's there, and he will be, and develop him for one year, let him get healthy for one year. You've got a year to watch Jacoby. If Jacoby's great, then you trade Tua for more than you you know, you know you get more than you, you spent on him. And if Jacoby's still what he is, which is pretty good but not good enough, you let him go, and you have Tua. Yeah, you take the comp- compensatory pick, and you've got Tua as well. Heck yeah. So it ends up working out. Uh, before we get to those cheating Patriots, let's talk about a former Patriot and Adam Vinatieri and, and the book pretty much being closed. Uh, I think you said it yesterday, Greg, on, on our show. Um, maybe you leave the door slightly ajar for Adam Vinatieri to continue, even though I can't imagine that he will, but his Colts career is over, I mean, right? It's got to be, because I – I don't as much as they love Adam and the you know Ballard and Reich and the, the players they love him. I mean you're not going to see a kicker struggle like Adam kicker like Adam struggled. You're not going to see that and see the locker room united that he's our guy mm-hmm. for this many weeks. You just don't see that. But you know you get what you earn and he's earned that over the years. But there's no way he's coming back. There's just it's Einstein's insanity. They're not going to do it. Uh, the question really is th- this knee surgery that he apparently is going to have something's not quite perfect with his plant knee that we've known that for over a year actually does this does he decide i don't want to go out like i went out with the colts my knees were improved everybody needs a kicker at age 47 next year is he kicking for somebody because i mean he's a prideful guy and i you know the last kick of his career was blocked smothered smothered but the last game of his career was not good so but what if you come back let's say he's kicking for how about the titans they have a disastrous kicker situation right and he's terrible in the first three weeks, and they're like, wait a minute, we can't do this. And then you're cut by Tennessee, and then that is your lasting memory. Right. You know what I mean? At least you have completed a season. Right. Yeah, he went on season end in IR and all of that, but at least you saw it out until the end. It can always get worse. Oh, yeah, he could, you be, know? He could have a Willie Mays kind of, yeah. kind of career end. 
what's what would be really interesting, but I, I'm I'm convinced I know how this would turn out, is if he does play for the Titans or whoever and has a great year and even beats the Colts with a kick. I don't think I mean, there'll be a few people. There's always a few people. There's always a few. But for the most part, and I mean overwhelmingly, 98% of the people would say, we're still glad he's gone. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to be mean by that, but just we saw enough last year to know we, we had to move on. If it turns out he's pretty good at 47, good for Adam, but the Colts simply couldn't repeat what they did. Yeah. Even if their kicker next year sucks, I'm telling you, they could have Chase McLaughlin come back next year and be terrible. They'd go through five kickers next year. Then Terry could be all pro in Tennessee – and I don't think anybody around here, aside from noting how weird that is, no one's going to ma- say, man, Ballard, you screwed that one up. No, no one's going to say that, except for a few people. There's always a few. But I liked your column because as much as in the moment we've been critical of Vinatieri, 10, 20 years from now, nobody's going to remember but what know, about, a lot of this season, right? What about the two memories that I put in there that no one knows? I mean, a few people know, but no one's written it yet. And I've decided I'm writing it. Mm-hmm. The, his sensitivity. The fact that the star had a story about four years ago he didn't really like. It was silly and small and nonsensical, but he didn't like it. He put the pictures of me, Stephen Holder, and Zach Kiefer in his locker with a red line through our faces. Now, he would still talk to us I, as people. I forgot about that. Yeah. He was still, right. And everybody knows it. No one ever mm-hmm. talked about it because we liked Vinny that much, including <laughs> me. And he would still talk to us, just not, not for stories. Although I want to give Vinny this, this credit. There was a day after about two years of this. He won a game. He beat somebody. He's always beaten somebody. And I went up to Vinny after the game and said, I get it. You don't talk to us. I get it. But you won the game. He goes, I'll talk to you. I mean, he, he did that solid for me. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not a horrible person. No. At all. It yeah. just show, He's not even a bad guy. It just shows how competitive he is that he didn't like a story and put, his, and put it in the locker so teammates could see and so all the media could see. It was a warning. Mm-hmm. Don't screw with me. And then this year when we were all ripping him because he was missing kicks, and we weren't ripping him meanly. We were just pointing out he's missing kicks and wondering should he stay. He put he went to the effort to find uh, the media guide listing or whatever, photos of all of us, and he went to the effort to find our cell numbers. They weren't listed. He, he went to the people who knew and got all of our – he doesn't have my number. He does now – and wrote all of our numbers in handwritten next to our faces and hung it in his locker and knowing that we're going to think you're, the cameras are going to show that. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody's going to have our contact information. <laughs> and then he, he did that as a warning, but he, he goes, guys, come on, let's move over here. He moved us away from his locker, yeah. but he was letting us know, don't toy with me. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people, readers, love that, and I'm not even sure you shouldn't love that. That's just how – uh, competitive and a little bit um, mean-spirited I, he can be. I don't blame these guys for being defensive. I'd be defensive, too, especially if I was a Hall of Fame player. I'd be very defensive about yeah. my skill level and all of that when I've got people like me or you coming to my lockers. So I, I actually have, you know, the phone number thing is a little much. but A little much. You know, the stuff with the, the faces crossed out, like is, is Adam Vinatieri going to drag you out to his ranch in the Dakotas and shoot you with a bow and arrow because he put a red thing over your face? No, it, it's just, it's all in good fun to me. I mean, he would talk yeah. to us. That's yeah. the thing. He wasn't be red, red through our face and then giving us the evil eye when we came in. He would talk to us. <laughs> just, he's not going to, he, he's not going to be quoted in my newspaper. Yeah. And and again, I, I wrote that story and the story about uh, the phone numbers. And as I, you know, you, you try and draw a roadmap for people so they know I do. It, to be, you know, the word transparent is what I go for. I want people to understand exactly why I'm writing this, mm-hmm. and don't try to read into what what is this? Why he's been mean to Adam, or does he hate that? No, no. I even wrote. I'm not mad when I write this. Just like I wasn't cheering when I wrote early in the story about I was there when he broke the record, and that's an honor for me to be there. And as I wrote in my story, thank you, Adam, for that. I'm not clapping my hands over the kick that I saw that was great, and I'm not fuming over 
the stuff he's done. I'm just trying to show Colts fans, here's who he is. Last word on it. Is there a little bit of relief that uh, I didn't want to see him end on a block kick, but at the same time, now that his season's over, finally I feel like we can kind of close the book on this. We've been talking about it all year. I will tell you that sitting up in that press box, every time he kicks is, is, is tension. It's almost like watching you know, America's funniest bloopers mm-hmm. just because – you're watching this, and you know eventually there's going to be a blooper, and you don't know when, and you're kind of it's, it's awkward. Like I, something's going to go wrong here. Maybe not this second. Maybe it's the next. Second. That was hard to do. But more than that, more than that, is that every time, and there was like five of these games where Vinatieri was kind of the story. Yeah. And every time one of these games happened, it was, it was hard to sit up there and go, I, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to have to attack him again or attack his play. I don't want to write about him again. And so I'm relieved just to not have that off the table. Like because like Chase McLaughlin. The other day, he he kicked a fifty yarder, three field goals. Um, I think he, I'm sorry, three extra points. Also a short field goal, but he, his forty seven yarder that was obviously crucial at the end hit the upright. If that was Vinatieri, that'd be the story again. Not because you're not allowed to hit a forty seven yarder off the upright, but because the season you've had here it comes again. Yeah. But Chase did it, even though he was Adams' replacement, and it was a a side non story. Yeah. yeah, it was a non story, yeah. as it should be. Mm-hmm. But Vinatieri became the damn story, and everybody was sick of, it, including him, but including me. No, I was sick of it too. I mean, I was sick about um, how much time on this podcast have we spent talking about <laughs> Vinatieri, honestly, throughout the year. Can we do, go back to ripping Paul George? Yeah, we, we can't do that. We'll fit that in. Uh, how about the Patriots in this situation here? Um, it's a franchise that it's impossible to give them the benefit of the doubt, even if they are telling the truth, right? You know, the, but there's always an excuse. Yeah. Like the footballs, we know they cheat. But the football is like cold weather, or or maybe the guy deflated him and no one knew. Or there's always like there's some rational, but there's not a ra- when when you cheat all the time. There's no more excuses. You're the little boy crying wolf. Yeah. Every now and then there's a wolf in there, and I still don't believe it. That wolf better eat me before I believe. I I better be in his lower intestine <laughs> before I understand there's a wolf here with the Patriots. And the thing is, why is this production crew taping the Bengals sideline? I mean, why are they doing that? They're they're there to for do a webisode at patriots.com called do your job apparently. on the patriots doing their job they're getting a they're getting b-roll because they're playing cincinnati next week this is the patriots excuse let me preface by saying that they're getting b-roll essentially for their production of the next game so patriots Bengals is part of their webisode series and so they send crews in advance to all of their games the patriots under bill belichick have been caught cheating caught twice which tells you there's no way we – I mean, it's like cockroaches. Yeah. For every one you see, there's 100 you don't see. They've been publicly caught twice. One time was for filming the other sideline. We're supposed to believe this time filming the other sideline is not cheating? Well, let me tell you this. This is from John Breach. This was during the Spygate investigation. I tweeted that out myself, but keep reading okay. for these folks. As the Patriots became a dynasty, Belichick became the first coach to win three Super Bowls, entire system of videotaping, blah, 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 blah. It got out of hand, a former Pacers, a Patriots assistant said. Sources with knowledge of the system say an advanced scout would attend games of upcoming Patriots opponents and assemble a spreadsheet of all the signals and plays. The scout would then give it to the Patriots assistant who would spend most of the week in his office with the door closed, matching the notes to the tapes filmed from the sideline. The videographers were provided with excuses to tell NFL security if they were asked what they were doing. Tell them you're filming the quarterbacks or the kickers or footage for a team show. 
which is literally what just happened. Literally what just happened. It's exactly what just happened in whatever that game was played. I think it was in Cleveland. But you can't tell um, the, you can't tell these people in New England. It's, it's just unbelievable. You can't convince them. They they had a guy with, during the flight gate, a guy on the sideline, Brady's you know personal uh, manager, trainer, whatever he is, whose nickname was the Deflator. Yeah. And they still were like, nah. He just lost weight. <laughs> yeah. Remember? It was a weight loss thing. He deflated his belly. Come who, on. Who ever says deflating for weight loss? Nobody. And look, honestly. It's funny. I actually believe, and maybe I'm just the dumbest person in the world, Greg. I actually believe them that this was maybe part of this webisode. But still, how stupid are you to put yourself in that position given your history? Right. Where you send a couple of people over there, and then you're videotaping the sideline when you shouldn't, and then um, Cincinnati doesn't even know you're there. The, only the Browns apparently were alerted that the Patriots sent a crew there. And the thing is that this this if it is innocent, if and I don't believe it, but if it is innocent, this crew with a, a franchise with a history of taping the other other sideline, and, and and with a history of using the production people as an excuse. Sends the production people over there and doesn't tell them, for the love of God, whatever you do, don't ever film their sideline. No. D- find a way around yeah. that. No one ever told him that. Like, no one knew. Bob Kraft doesn't know. He was too busy flying to Florida doing whatever he is, does down there. I Come on now. It's just fool me once, right? Right. Uh, that's just their track record. Um, let's talk a little bit about college basketball as well. Big night tonight. We're taping this on Tuesday afternoon, but uh, Butler at Baylor, and then Indiana takes on UConn, the, the Schultz battle, uh, my home state, uh, my birth state against my now home state, uh, playing at the Garden, my favorite place. But uh, just kind of give me your impressions, Greg, off the cuff of uh, Butler, Indiana, and, and Purdue's start to the season. Well, what are the, what are the odds that uh, right now we have one undefeated team, and it's Butler? Yeah. And they've played a pretty good schedule. They've played a better schedule than IU. Yes, so far. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're better, but they've. It's not like yeah, well, they played a bunch of nobody. No, that they've they've played. They're five and zero against power five teams. I'm not sure how many p- teams in the country can say that right mm-hmm. now. It can't be many. No. And Purdue has you know lost several times, and IU's got that one horrible horrible loss against the only team they played. They've only played one team and got their butt kicked. So well, they beat FSU. That's right. I'm yeah. so sorry. They, they beat Florida State, and, and I was there for that. That that was impressive. I thought what they did in closing them out. But- Very. Wisconsin, Greg, and I'm not trying to make you feel old. The last time Indiana beat Wisconsin, I was a freshman in high school at Wisconsin. That's the last time it happened. I mean, we're talking about 21 years ago. Right, which um, means every player on the IU floor long, wasn't even long born time. yet. Long, long, long born time yet. it's been. They don't know, and they don't care. And Wisconsin just trashes them every time they play in Madison. doesn't matter. The names and faces change. But that was embarrassing because this is really not a very good Wisconsin team. They no. lost to New Mexico. They lost to Richmond. And uh, and they can't score, and they hung forty seven on the first half against IU. So IU still got a long way to go. I thought what was was scary about that game, and and IU's front court was fine against FSU, and FSU's front court's nasty and big and NBA size, if not skill. They went to Wisconsin, and Trace Jackson Davis and Justin Smith combined for I think five rebounds. Combined for five rebounds, and there are they had to be the best two athletes on the on the floor. Had to be, and they're huge, and they combined for five, and they combined for very few points. Devontae Green was the best player on the team. He had 10 points, 3 assists, and shot 3 of 8, which is a an average game at best. Mm-hmm. But he was far and away the best player on the team. That's a bad, bad day. Yeah, and Wisconsin just, they're going to fight you for everything. That's just the way that they've always, and, and Guard has done a good job of keeping that up from Bo Ryan. And they've built a really impressive program, I think. Really, both of their programs, football and basketball, yeah. it, which is crazy to think about. I know that you grew up in, in the South, Greg, but... Here in Big Ten country, Wisconsin football and basketball used to be a freaking doormat. It was like Northwestern. 
that was that was a free roll when you would play Wisconsin in basketball. And now, um, you know, outside of maybe Michigan and Michigan State a little bit, I think they've got the best combo programs in the entire conference. Ohio State too, with what Chris Holtman's done with, with their basketball the program. There. Yeah. And speaking of Holtman, and Mata. Butler. Um, how about I'm so happy for Laval Jordan because mm-hmm. from the day he got here, he's been held. You know, it's, and it's natural that you know. Holtman and the guys that came before him, including the guy from Boston, um, you hold him to a certain standard, and he his first year or two, he didn't meet it. It wasn't recruiting very well. They weren't winning enough, and it just didn't look like it was going to turn out that great for him. It just didn't. And now his recruiting has picked up, but that's not why they're winning this year. There's not a single great recruit. The recruiting's picked up going forward. That's the exciting yeah. part if you're a Butler fan. But he's winning games. He's getting players for the future. Uh, and in fact, you know Jordan Tucker came in from Duke, but he didn't he didn't build his team around. Well, we got a transfer who needed a, pl- a new life, and so it doesn't really count because you don't know how good you are. Jordan Tucker's not carrying this team. I don't even know if he's starting on this team right now. So I, I like that, and I don't no. I don't dislike Jordan. I'm just saying he's building a program here, not around a guy, a, a refugee from Duke. I mean, he's building a program. What's it say about Laval Jordan that he has been able to uh, put Jordan Tucker in a role and? Tucker just takes that role and doesn't fight it and doesn't complain, right? I mean, that shows a coach that's in control, no? It does, and, and if you were going to say one thing was going to be wrong with Laval three years ago is that he's so nice and so decent mm-hmm. that can he get the Jordan Tuckers of the world, whoever they are, yeah. to accept less, and can he do that? Can he command that kind of, I don't know, fear is almost the wrong word, but I'll, I'll use it. And he find you know the best coaches, and I'm not saying he's one of the best coaches, but the best coaches do find a way to relate to their players because you got to get something out of them. Bobby Knight's way, it don't, wouldn't work anymore. It just yeah. doesn't. You got to relate to them, but you also got to be tough with them. And maybe he's that guy. And the transfer market's so big. I mean, Inzi and Golden gave them the depth. It's not that that was a talentless team last year, Greg. It's just that they they had like six guys. That's it. Right. And uh, you know you got Sean McDermott playing the four against Bigs and forget it. And now with NZ and Golden now being eligible, um, they've been able to really kind of withstand that and, and the physicality. It'll be fascinating to see. The Big East looks great. So it'll be fascinating to see how they kind of factor into conference play this year. Um, and then Purdue, of course, continuing Big Ten play as well. And then the Crossroads coming up, one of my favorite events one of thing the about, year. Yeah, and Purdue is playing um, – Purdue but- Butler, IU Notre Dame. Purdue Butler is going to be, whoa. Yeah. Think about Purdue. What's weird about them is that they had that huge game against Virginia and they, they beat Northwestern. And those those their two best wins of the year, Northwestern wasn't nearly as good, but whatever, it's still one of their best wins, has come with Aaron Wheeler off the bench, not doing anything. He's I been mean, a disaster this year. Yeah, I mean, it can't make anything. Shooting 26%. Right, and and Trev, Trev Williams is, is starting to play a little bit better and get a little bit more out of it, but I mean, the, the guys that you thought, no Jell Eastern, they're not getting much, no. much out of him offensively. Not that he's a great scorer, but he's got to give him something. He's been giving them nothing, and they're still beating these teams. Which means there's more there now. They got to figure out Aaron Wheeler. No gel is what he is, and we'll see what he does. But Aaron Wheeler's got a lot more to give. We saw oh, last yeah. year. He's a. I'm not saying he's going to be a pro. Same with Devonte Green. I'm not saying Green will play in the NBA. I'm not saying Aaron Wheeler will play in the NBA. But they both have NBA skill, and Aaron Wheeler has NBA size too and jumping ability. I mean, he's a. I'm not saying he's an All Star at all, and not even a starter in the NBA. But he's an NBA player. Six nine. Jumps higher than everybody else and has a great three point stroke. That is the game right now in the NBA. And Devontae Green is just a bucket getter, a mm-hmm. world class, world class bucket getter, and an underrated passer. So anyway, there you go. And Painter, we'll see what happens here. It's only a two game sample size, but shows how great he's just got his finger on the pulse of everything. He subs out Wheeler and Eastern to the bench, puts Stefanovic and Travion Williams in the starting lineup, 
and look at what Sasha has done the last two games, particularly in the Virginia game. I thought his three threes, I know you were there at Mackey, those three threes to me loosened up everything. Purdue was allowed to not play tight because they had been so laborious and awful offensively. I thought those that Stefanovic's performance was huge. Yeah, and, and we need to not ever be surprised by Purdue ever, and, and I don't know if anybody is anymore. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I mean, I was surprised they beat Virginia by 30, but overall, however good they're going to be, I'm not going to be surprised by it. He he has built, we talked about Wisconsin earlier, and Greg Gard, and of course Bo Ryan before him. Painter built his program the same way, slowly, and not depending on this one-and-done one, one and done guy or this transfer guy. I mean, he just slowly, and it, and it sustains. And the older guys teach the younger guys, and so he's got a lot of help, and so... I think the older folks will help Aaron Wheeler get out of it eventually. Yeah, you lose Swanigan, you still win. You lose Haas and company, you still win. Uh, you lose Carson Edwards, and we'll see so far, but it yeah. looks like they're going to still win. Uh, you can check out all of Greg's columns, IndyStar.com slash sports, also on the IndyStar app and the Greg Doyle tab. You can catch me afternoons, Quarry and Schultz, Fox Sports 1260, or via the iHeartRadio app. Greg, we'll see you next week. Always a blast.